dumb fun. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Musical the movie the podcast. Musical the movie the podcast. Musical the movie the podcast with Andy and Steph. Whoa, Steph, welcome in to Musical the Movie the Podcast, episode seven? Uh, I don't know. I don't listen to him. I'm so sorry. I can't help you. <laughs> that's, a, that's okay. <laughs> I, I, I listen to him enough for both of us. I, it's all I listen to. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, I, was just, I was just thinking as, as I listened to Nicole Kidman just welcome us in, um, that I wish that there was a way in this audio medium to welcome everyone with just the pair of lips, but like, there's not, I can't, <laughs> I can't translate that. Picture, if you will, uh, Steph's lips, but <laughs> my voice uh, coming out of them uh, in great tribute to the androgyny of Rocky Horror Picture Show. And uh, here, that's where we're at, Steph. Here we are. Episode 7, Rocky Horror Picture Show, the longest running theatrical movie of all time, technically. Can you believe? Technically. Can you believe? But also, real quick, uh, friend of the show, third chair of the show, Tina Hoff, came up to me. Uh, before our recording, our last or recording our last episode, she came up to me in beautiful Tucson, Arizona, where we were for your sister's wedding recently, and she said, "Can't wait to record the new Empty Empty P." And I said, "Hey, can you not call our podcast musical the movie the podcast Empty Empty P? Even though I know you're saying M T M T P. Hey, I don't care for that pronunciation, bub." Is what I said to her, I believe. Bub. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I was mad. Because I, so um, everyone knows that I'm a nursing student, and today we learned about the kidneys, and I just, if you have MGP, that's bad, and I <laughs> don't want that to be what we're associated with. Yeah. I, can't, I can't have us having bad science on our podcast. We don't call ourselves empty, empty pee. We, I don't stand by that. I don't want people to hashtag that. I don't want it to trend <laughs> locally or nationally. Please don't call it that. Uh, but uh, here we are, Rocky Horror Picture Show stuff. Let, let, should we jump in? Yeah. Then answer me this one question. Uh, oh, and you, your your very new brother-in-law, Jeff, told me that whenever I ask this question on the podcast, he always answers it in his own head. So first, I'm going to say to the listener, and I'll leave a little space, what's your relationship to Rocky Horror Picture Show? You're talking, you're talking, you're talking. I'm, I'm pretending to listen. I'm pretending to listen. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, now now we'll talk about art. Steph, what is your relationship to the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Uh, I think that my relationship mirrors a lot of uh, weirdo theater kids. Um, maybe with the exception of I, I was first shown the Rocky Horror Picture Show by both of my parents um, when I was like 12, 11 or 12. They were teens in the 70s. They're like the real-time target audience of this movie. And uh, Time Warp was one of the songs that was on rotation in our house. Um, And so it was sort of like contextualizing it. And then as I got to high school and then later in college, it was like this little like shibboleth for making friends in whatever show I was doing. Like I, yeah, that like, I, I think... I think that experience of like meeting someone new, figuring out that you both like love is maybe not the word, but like have like a relationship or like have feelings about this movie um, and then watching it and maybe maybe doing some call outs. I have gone to a live show or two. 
I can only imagine in a theater department, because as you know, I was never allowed to be a part of any theater department. <laughs> uh, Brother Michael Livaday did not put me in any plays at Christian Brothers High School. And I, I shared a building with the theater majors at the University of Memphis. The communications and theater department shared a building. So they were always over there doing their Rocky Horror bullshit. But I was always <laughs> on the other side, you know, doing radio stuff or whatever. Uh, good, good call, Andy. That'll really take you to all the way to the to the uh, to the future. Radio, what a great thing to get a degree in. Uh, oh, I didn't get a degree, so that worked out. Um, but so was. The, and by the way, I do want to say how funny it is that your parents introduced you to it because you know let, maybe the first time we stayed at your house, your mom came home from church on Sunday afternoon and said, uh, "I have good news. Jesus is risen." And it's not even like that's a, uh, you know, because I will say that your mom just recently told us that we should do an episode on Rocky Horror Picture Show. So it's not like that's a yeah. thing of the past. Like, that's a thing that she just loves d- uh, concurrent to her uh, uh, love of God, which is interesting to me because it's a very androgynous, very, uh, and an- uh, hang on, I'll get the word. Um, <laughs> anar- anarchy? What's the adjective of anarchy? Anarchic. Anarchical? Antarctic. Antarctic. There it is. It's a very uh, Antarctic uh, play and movie. And so, yeah, I love that she loves this. I love that there's room for all of it. Yeah, that's truly part of it. Um, What's your relationship to this movie? I feel like we just got a little taste. Well, yeah, so... So I, the year stuff is 2003, okay? Ooh. Three doors down, rules the airwaves. And so uh, it's 2003. I go and visit my, my friend from high school, David Galindez in beautiful Murray, Kentucky. And it's Halloween weekend. And he says, we're going to go down to the theater building for their show in Rocky Horror. I'd never seen it before in my life. And what they were doing is what's now known as a shadow play. Uh, I think it was known as that at the time, too. And uh, <laughs> it's where uh, the actors were basically lip syncing all the lines. There were actors, but then there was also the movie going. And so the actors mm-hmm, were in front of the mm-hmm. screen, lip syncing all the lines to it uh, while it was going. And and just both simultaneously. You got both going on at the same time. And I don't know what it is, stuff, but little 19-year-old Andy just fell for this thing i bought it on dvd and everyone who i told that to was like you did what that's not how you watch this movie this is a movie (laughs) that you like go to theatrical screenings of and owning the dvd of it seems like uh you know antithetical to the whole oh that's the word i was trying to think uh no it's not seems antithetical to the whole uh, uh fandom of this movie but i Found, and I did go to a couple more screenings. I went to one screening in the uh, Highland Quartet in Memphis when this is the one where I dressed up in terrible drag. I mean, terrible drag. I was wearing, I like borrowed a, a, a like spaghetti strap tank top from, from my roommate at the time. And she did some light makeup on me, but I didn't shave my soul patch. Like I was, all, I was everything else was shaved, <laughs> but I still had the soul patch and just this terrible makeup. And then like, she didn't have any bottoms that fit me. So I just wore khaki shorts and let, suffice to say, I was not serving fish. I was not serving fish that day. I was serving steak with a little bit of eyeshadow on it. Uh, and, uh, it just, it looked bad, but, um, I just kind of realized that like, I like to enjoy this movie separate from the theatrical thing that happens. (laughs) Like, like I, I, I really like all these songs. 
uh, and I, I, I eventually I played Frankenfurter for the uh, character assassination roast that, that we've been doing uh, here in Chicago. Not not in a production of Rocky Horror, but for the roast. Uh, but there are pictures, and they're excellent. Yeah, that that the the makeup that was the day everyone discovered I have good legs. Actually, <laughs> um, <laughs> wait, I'm sorry, but, I just I can't help but take a moment to acknowledge that we have now brought into the canon of our podcast both um the soul patch of your youth mm-hmm. and your fabulous legs that's all okay yeah sure and so uh, this has just always been in rotation on my playlist and my spotify i love all these songs uh this is something that's like oddly lived in my heart for about 20 years now at this point i guess and this movie is wild I mean, this movie is wild. So we're going to bring in some guests to talk about it. Let's do that right I now. What do you think? I truly can't wait. I truly can't wait. Um, can I go first? Because yeah, it's a it. fun story. So um, as we all know, a few uh, months ago, weeks ago, we did an episode on uh, Little Shop of Horrors. And like basically immediately after that, the algorithm knew that we cared about that musical. And so uh, Andy was advertised preview tickets to go see a, a local production of Little Shop of Horrors. And he went and he came home and he was just like, holy shit, we have to go again. You have to see this. Um, and so... We did, and I concurred. We both loved it so much that we have invited the director of that production, Matthew Seiler, Chicago theater artist and director and stage manager, to join us. Welcome, Matt. Thanks. Oh, I'm so flattered that that is why I was welcome here. (laughs) I, I love it. It's great. I truly, um, that show, so many of the choices made me be like, I want to talk to this guy. I want to like hear how he thinks about staging things and and musicals. So I'm thrilled. That is so nice. I mean, and and part of the story, Matt, too, is that that's not something I ever would have done before this podcast is just gone to a musical, right? And so imagine my surprise when I just buy tickets to this musical. I go and then I pull up and I'm like, wait a minute, am I at a high school? (laughs) <laughs> high school production, sure but no, are. it's just a beautiful theater that happens to be nestled in a high school in Lake Forest. It's this tiny little professional theater right outside of Chicago in a disenfranchised high school. And the, <laughs> the good part about doing theater in a disenfranchised high school is that no matter how old you get, no matter how professional you are, um, when you have the opportunity for like jock teenage boys to walk by you, you can still feel inferior. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> At, at any age, no matter the what age you grow to be. The gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> never leaves your stomach. So let me let me introduce our comedy guest. We always have a theater guest and a comedy guest. Uh, our comedy guest, uh, we ran a show together for, uh, what do we call it, seven years? Five to seven years at the Gallery Cabaret uh, called the Two Hour Comedy Hour. She has become one of this nation's great young comedians. Uh, she's a cast member at the Lincoln Live where you can often catch her. And you catch her all over the country doing stand-up comedy. Uh, and her name is Deanna Ortiz. Hello. Hi. Emphasis, Hi, emphasis, on, hey. emphasis on the young part of my intro. <laughs> You're like seven years. I'm like, let's say less. Honestly, child prodigy <laughs> in the works. Thank you so much. Hi. Happy to be here. So excited. Hi, and Deanna, there's a there's a uh, little extra reason why you're here, which is that when I posted and I did rave about seeing Little Shop yeah. on Facebook, you messaged me and you were like, oh, I just looked up who directed that and I think I know him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, so how do you two know each other? Okay, so I just want to say, <laughs> I just want to say um, <laughs> oh, no. that I met Matt doing a CYT, Christian Youth Theater, 
um and they do mm. a bunch of awesome shows like actually a really good friend of mine lauren menzer when we were in high school we were like best friends she was in the, a bunch of shows so i would go to see a lot of shows i was also i'm not gonna brag in varsity choir and then i went to some camps too so when i say like <clears throat> Matt was Fucking like nerd, in the shows like Matt was like really good and like in the shows and like doing the most and then I was like a fun extra that got to sing along with Wicked at at, at camp okay I was not a big role in Wicked camp thank you very I much mean... I was also a fun extra <laughs> but didn't you have a big role in Hairspray Shh, Deanna that's enough thank no, you no 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 <laughs> wait who were you in Hairspray uh, who were you it, it is actually right? important I'm look sorry. I May have Link? played Link Larkin. Yeah, okay. If y'all, okay. That's a sex symbol part, see, if, if y'all could see me now, <laughs> I should have never played. I did not look that much better when I was 15 years old. But I'm just saying, like, Matt was, like, the one getting all, like, he was, like, really, really great. And then I'm just, like, I'm here because my friends are here and I wanted to be at a college, you know, for a summer camp. Um, <laughs> but that is how we met. So I was so thrilled when you were posting because I was, like, oh, maybe oh, if Andy can go see a musical, certainly I can go. <laughs> like, well, he's so brave to go to a musical alone. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to be said. I go to musicals alone all yeah, the time. It's great. Don't get me wrong. More power to you. Like I'm glad that this is a big step for you, but it becomes very easy and I highly recommend yeah. it. I love it. It's, huh. it's going to be a part, become a part of my routine. I also just want to say quickly that uh, Deanna says all this about me being on stage when we were kids. <laughs> and the irony of ironies now is that Deanna is regularly on stage and my literal two jobs in this industry keep me directly off stage. I'm not singing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But the, so the key crazy. word there is direct, direct. A director. Guy. He's a director yeah, I'm now. I'm a stage manager too, though. I like to support other directors, but it's it's a funny irony. And yes, that is um, a wild part of our past. Which it was funny too when Andy was like, oh, I'm going to like reach out to Matt and you guys can do the podcast together. I'm like, he might not remember who I am. Oh, no. I might I just be some creepy are. person in no. the back of all the shows. Um, but I'm just surprised that CYT was down with letting y'all do Wicked, which is all about witches and satanic black magic and sick shit. <laughs> it's actually a very well, good point. Isn't it ironic that the episode we're doing together is Rocky Horror? Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, when we met in a conservative Christian theater company. Uh -huh. This is how it is. This is how the theater kids break out. You, really you know, them. it's it's this is how we heal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not wrong. <laughs> it's not wrong at all. I guess, why don't we jump into, Deanna, why don't we start with you? Do you want to tell us what your relationship is to Rocky Horror? Sure. Um, so I watched the movie last night, and that was the first time that I ever watched it start to finish. Because my whole thing is that I was very scared of Tim Curry because I had seen It before, <laughs> and oh, wow, I was like yeah. really scared of It. And then when everybody's like, oh, we're watching Rocky Horror Picture Show, I'm just like, oh, God. And then... <laughs> It's like weird because he's like sexy and hot, but he's also it the clown. And so I'm just like, I can't deal with this. <laughs> so I just had never really start to finish watched it outside of like, you know, the most important scenes. Um, so yesterday I watched it for the first time. and I'm like, this is actually pretty good. <laughs> I can see why everybody likes it. It's, it's, okay. it's such an easy thing to like have just seen on VH1 movies that rock, like, <laughs> yeah. like, and just like fast forward it on a Sunday to through or whatever. Oh yeah, and like my taste is famously um, bad, so I feel like to start a movie that I feel like a lot of people already have hard opinions about, I'd rather just like watch Shrek again, um, <laughs> something comforting, something relaxing, where I don't. Yeah, have didn't to. you see Boss Baby in theaters? <laughs> 
Yeah, but I was really going through a lot. <laughs> I did. I did. And I, and I do it again. <laughs> Good movie. Uh, Matt, what about you? Um, okay, so we've hit an, a very interesting trend on this parents introducing us to Rocky Horror, despite our parents being conservative Christian parents. Um, so I went to a private Christian school growing up. My parents were separated um, for pretty much all of my life. And I remember we, we had to interview our parents about a favorite memory from their childhood. And, and my dad told me about his first visit to like an interactive screening of Rocky Horror. I wrote a paper on it. I turned it into my Christian school teacher and was like, they used to throw toast at the screen. <laughs> like with no context. I don't, and I, I mean, I wasn't, I was at least in elementary school. I don't know how young I was, uh, but he talked about it. And I was like, that sounds fun. Maybe I'll do that one day. I watched Rocky Horror for the first time two nights ago. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Let it let it also be said. I have seen every other way of seeing Rocky Horror besides watching Rocky Horror. I have the Glee episode, (laughs) Love at First Fright, Six Flags, Great America, where they sing like three quarters of that score in that jukebox musical. Like scrolled through a lot of the like youtube drops of the of the like 2016 revamp let's do the time warp again Uh, watched a bunch of those never sat down and watched rocky horror like the rocky horror picture show starring tim curry and meatloaf until two (laughs) nights ago i love that it was so funny we had the same thing i feel so blessed yeah what's funny about that is that sort of the the i would say the (laughs) the idea behind this podcast is that steph is a theater person and i am not but this is definitely going to be an episode where I'm the anchor. <laughs> and, and like, it's yeah. also funny, too, because I feel like we both, both me and Matt, could have had the option when you asked us to be like, yes, I'd love to do this podcast. But maybe let's do a different musical that like I might connect with more. But instead, I was just like, I'll do anything for attention. I'll watch it around here. <laughs> No. Absolutely yes. <laughs> I, I thought about starting my intro by being like, before I say anything, I, we have to make a deal. If this goes well. You bring this is the same thing I do with new theaters who want to hire me. I go, the first show, I'll direct whatever you want. But if I wow you, I get to pick the extra. <laughs> okay. That's a great deal. I'll take it. Again, yeah. If this goes well, you get to pick the next movie that you do on the show. There it is. I'm picking what Boss Baby the musical, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm also writing, starring, sold. directing in. If this goes badly, I will have you back to watch the terrible sequel Shock Treatment. That's that a real a thing. Sequel? There is a sequel, sequel to Rocky Horror called Shock Treatment that is not very good. But we'll we'll talk about it next Halloween because this is the last movie in our spooky Halloween of musicals. <laughs> uh, because this this it is by the way today. I don't know if you guys know this. It's Halloween Day. Uh, oh, today is Halloween. Happy that's Halloween, right. so everyone! This, we wanted we, we knew when we started the podcast we were dropping this episode on Halloween Day. People love to see this on Halloween. People love to listen to the time warp on Halloween. Uh, so here we are. We're doing it. Uh, so why don't I? I'm going to give us a little bit of background on how Rocky Horror comes to be before we jump into the plot of this thing. Uh, So Richard O'Brien, who plays Riff Raff, he writes this thing to keep himself busy in the winter of 1970, like the early 1970s, and he takes it to Jim Sharman, who uh, is the director, I believe, of this movie, but he had directed the Australian production of Hair. And so, and he had, long story short, he took it to a director, Jim Sharman. And, uh, And then Tim Curry hears about it because he lives 
where he lives is down the street from a gym in London. And he runs into Richard O'Brien on the street and he says, oh, what are you up to? And Richard O'Brien says, oh, I was just at the gym to see if I could find a muscle man who could sing. (laughs) And Tim Curry says, why do you need him to sing? And he tells him about the musical. And he says, I don't know, why don't you you talk to Jim Sharman? So Tim Curry goes and auditions and gets this part. He bases his performance on Queen Elizabeth II, (laughs) combined with his mother's telephone voice. Little Nell, uh, who plays Columbia, I mean, like, when you see someone credited as Little Nell, that's wild, right? Yeah. Uh, And so I'm like, who is this woman? She's, uh, She's a woman who sold clothes in a booth next to Freddie Mercury's booth, and she busked as a tap dancer. She was a busker. And basically, she wills her way into this movie by being a tap dancer around London. Isn't that wild? I hate stories like this, (laughs) where it's like, you know, I'm just jumping around and doing this and la la la. And I'm just like sending carefully worded emails to comedy clubs. (laughs) Meanwhile, David Boreanaz was discovered walking his dog. Literally. The way that I... I'm trying so hard to get a little bit of work from these people. I Should I take up tap dancing? I don't know. What's the way? <laughs> yeah. Anything to be more marketable. Or it's always like, oh, this person was discovered in an elevator. And I'm like, now I have to be charming in an elevator. What the hell? <laughs> uh, Patricia Quinn, who plays Magenta, uh, as Richard O'Brien says in this movie, uh, is, in, is in the original London production as well. And Jonathan Adams, who plays Dr. Scott in the movie, is originally the criminologist in this London production. And this London production starts mm-hmm. in a 63-seat theater. Like, Deanna, how many, how many, what is the Lincoln Lodge main room seat? 120. Yeah, so it's half that. that, that <laughs> it's like the Lincoln, Rouge, the Lincoln Lodge small theater. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's one of the smaller rooms, one of the classrooms. And if Tim Curry wants to try and sell a show there, he's more than welcome. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and so then it starts it, it starts in LA at the Roxy Tim Curry goes over and reprises his role but he's the only one and then in the joint roles of Eddie and Dr. Scott in that production is Meatloaf so that's how he gets mm-hmm. involved uh, and then Fox gets a hold of it they want to make a movie immediately this is all 73 74 by the way they insist on like first they're like look you got to put rock stars in it we want to fill it with rock stars and Richard O'Brien's like, no. And they're like, okay, well, then we're just going to cast Americans as Brad and Janet. Like, that's that's what we need to do then. And thank <laughs> God they did, because Susan Sarandon absolutely slays in this movie. Yeah. Uh, as is Barry Bostwick. That's pretty much all the info I have on, on how this movie comes together. But yeah, so this movie comes out in 1975. It flops. And then they start the showing it at midnight showings. And somehow it just, like, gains momentum like that. And it never leaves theaters to this day. hasn't hasn't mm-hmm. technically left theaters, making it the longest running theatrical movie of all time. And then, at what po- point did the like the stuff come in where like you're throwing toast at the screen or you have the newspaper and the umbrellas and all that stuff? That rises out of the midnight showings, and I don't know exactly when it started. There's a theater in Germany that has been showing it like since '77 or something that gives out kits of those things when you mm-hmm. walk in. What a nightmare that must be for those ushers that have to go and clean up the rice. I mean, yeah. like, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. Like, most, most showings that I've been to in a theater, they've been like, but please don't throw the rice. Like, whatever you do, don't throw the rice, and everyone throws the rice, you know what I mean? <laughs> On hand and knees, we beg you, please don't do this. I remember my parents telling me, like, oh, yeah, you do this and this and this, and then, and then if you don't know what to do, you get yelled at by the people who do know what to do. And I was like, I'll never experience this because I don't want people to know. That's my number one fear of people knowing that I don't belong right. <laughs> and, there, and i'm like throwing rice when they have the um, like the newspaper over their head i'm like oh god yeah. <laughs> so that's I, and that's it's just kind of why i'll never leave the house past midnight to go to the music box even though it's across the street from my house okay so first i have three little 
preclaimers. Um, first and most importantly, it We're was having trouble different... with words tonight. <laughs> no, I think preclaimers <laughs> fits it perfectly. What okay, that so was my intended, that pre-pre. Intended, <laughs> that, that pre-pre. Yeah. Um, it was a different time. Is is 1975. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that they would call Frank a sweet transvestite today. But also, who knows? Maybe they would. The second thing is that there's trigger warning for a couple different straight-up sexual assaults. Again, different time, I guess. We had a different quota for the number of sexual assaults in your movie. The minimum. Um, and then... Okay, and then this is uh, more of a logistical matter. Like, I do have a plot summary here, but uh, to describe this movie with just the plot would be, I think, incomprehensible. Yes. <laughs> like, as we were watching this for, to prepare for the podcast, and I was, like, thinking about how the plot summary would read, I was just like, oh, yeah, so then Frank goes in and basically sexually assaults Janet, and then Frank goes in and sexually assaults Brad. Okay, so... This movie loses everything when you just talk about what happens in it. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's a good thing that's not the premise for our whole podcast. <laughs> I will say, I want to say, though, you, like, Andy, you describing how much you love this movie and, like, the space it holds for you already makes me like it more. Yeah. Because the whole time I was watching it, I was like, this has to be so special to people to, like, have had the history it has Mm -hmm. and and to be this i mean we know it's a cult classic but to be sort of this like relic of entertainment Mm -hmm. and and what helped me in the moments where i was getting a little stuck i i was reminded that i have those pieces of art right i have those those now granted little shop of horrors is one of my all-time favorite musicals and the world agrees that it's great um (laughs) no one has to see that movie at midnight okay (laughs) okay and we keep our hands to ourselves thank you very much (laughs) um but i will say like something that continually as i've been mulling it over for the last 48 hours as well that um I don't know that I keep coming back to is the fact that like, and as I was looking into some of like the trans issues that it obviously brings up when you are not watching this filled with nostalgia, you know, like part of what I did over the last two days was I listened to as much of like Laverne Cox talking about it as I could. I, I, I went on Reddit and just searched like LGBTQ Rocky horror problematic um, <laughs> to just like read what people were thinking. And I actually, read like i've i've gotten some like really lovely takes on why this movie was so groundbreaking and so important to people and so i if i get too if i get too aggressive for the sake of comedy <laughs> let it be said that i think if this you know this movie is special and to a lot of people and mm-hmm. and there are people who you know like we our parents introduced mentioned it to me i didn't watch it with them but like I imagine that generationally, this is a very, very special movie to people. And so I I agree that we, we have to look at it from the context of, of modern day and how, or sorry, reverse, <laughs> fix that well, in editing. But, yeah, no problem. Yeah. We'll <laughs> Just reverse it in editing and then... I'll reverse, yeah, I'll reverse the, uh, the, the syntax of what you said uh-huh. in editing. Uh-huh. It's broken. That's it's still broken. Oh, I definitely agree. I agree. It also reminds me, I went to go see um, Monty Python uh, 
I went on a date to someone took me it's a famous story on my podcast that, that I got taken <laughs> to go see Monty Python and the Holy Grail and he quoted the movie in my ear the whole time and I'm just watching it and I'm just like I I can and then afterwards I was he was like did you like the movie and I was like I like how much everybody else liked it like it was nostalgic <laughs> to everybody else because their older brothers or their dad showed them the movie when they were young you know and then me watching it as what like a 20 i was like 28 27 at the time i'm just like uh okay i i get it okay fine i see what this is but it wasn't at the moment i was like this isn't for me so we start with floating disembodied lips welcoming us to a science fiction double feature it is the voice of Richard O'Brien. I don't think it's the lips of Richard O'Brien. No, it's the lips of, of Patricia Quinn, who plays Magenta. Magenta. Oh, that's like, yeah. a, it's a nice little family moment for them. For the listener, her, her name is Magenta. I will refer to her as Magenta <laughs> throughout this entire podcast, because that's how Richard O'Brien says it in the movie. <laughs> I have a question. How much of my Glee trivia do you want me to interject? Bring it in. Oh. Yeah, let's oh. do it. I just wanted to be said that that whole time, I thought... On the Glee episode, it opens the same way, and they use a female voice for it. It's Santana, uh, which is completely against the the point. It's her mouth and her voice that is so is the complete opposite. Uh-huh. I haven't watched Glee so for a second there. I was like, Carlos Santana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really good. You'd love it. <laughs> Probably like recorded it in a studio for a Fox. Uh, network television show perspective great rendition of that song like her voice is beautiful for it totally so so in the stage show this was sung by patricia quinn herself and there is a character that is not in the movie called the usherette who is like an usher who would come up and sing this and then she would come back at the end and sing the reprise uh and so patricia quinn was disappointed that she didn't get to sing it in the movie and that but I, I, apparently it's maybe that richard o'brien wanted to start introducing the idea of androgyny but mm-hmm. that's funny to me, too, because his voice is not, like, a bass voice. It is truly androgynous. Yeah, yeah. it's truly, like, there t- I was listening to it, and I was just like, I can't even hear, like, where his voice breaks. Like, yeah. which is, I don't know, it's just, it works. Also, it occurred to me, the song is a little bit LFO Summer Girls. Truly, yeah. Okay, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, this this song is like has like a lot of references in it that must have meant a lot more to 1975 audiences. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yes. yeah. Michael J. Fox was Alex P. Keaton. True, yes. truly, truly. Um, but like it's like I read that there is only one person still still alive that is mentioned in this opening credits oh, God. song. Oh, that's cool. Uh, it's uh, Jan- Janet Scott. Is the only person uh, still alive? But, Which yeah, every it's... time I hear that, I think that it's them, like just like getting jazzy. So, anyway, no. <laughs> no, they're real. Yeah. No, they're real. It's, it's a real. No, they had a family and like opinions and feelings and things. <laughs> People loved them. They still get social security checks. They weren't just riffing to riff. <laughs> <laughs> riffing to rap. Oh. Oh. Cut, fix that in post. <laughs> Change it so that my voice says that instead okay. of yours. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Thank you. We see a wedding emerging from the Denton Episcopal Church. No idea where Denton is. Somewhere with a castle. Texas. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is Texas canonically, yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Is it a real town, Matt? Do you know? Yeah, I did my undergrad in Texas, and I, I work in Dallas still, Um periodically denton texas is a mm-hmm. very real place there you go wow. yeah 
The family pose for a photo. They are flanked by creepy stone-faced church workers. Uh, And then a naive young couple, Brad Majors and Janet Weiss, played by Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon, get engaged. First song, Damn It, Janet. Honestly, I I think it's incredibly tacky when people get engaged at other people's weddings. (laughs) So I'm going to say that they had anything that happened to them, they had it coming. I like, I was like, I'm done. And by the way, the creepy uh, church workers you mentioned are Tim Curry. uh, Importantly. uh, uh, Richard O'Brien and Patricia Quinn. And eventually Little Nell is a spinster inside the church. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Damn It, Janet is a fun song. Also, I mean, we'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about what a, absolute smoke show susan sarandon is in this movie i mean first chance it's true it's true first chance you got he really married up yeah she's stunning and then also i mean i good on the director to be like and she's actually going to be in her underpants the whole time so that's kind of a director's choice and honestly good on good on you deanna for calling them underpants (laughs) i'm trying to be polite I did read that they tried to get her to go nude during Touch a Touch a Touch a Touch Me, and she said no, <laughs> even though she had apparently been nude a lot before this, but she was just like, no. And mm. I-, I think that's a good call, honestly. Yeah, we didn't need it. There was some yeah. other stuff happening. We couldn't handle a naked Susan Sarandon on top of, you know, the mayhem that's happening. <laughs> this movie, I, I wanted. This is we're jumping ahead by an hour and a half in the film, but I, I wanted to say this. Can we skip movie, to the end, please. Yeah, real quick, real quick, and I gotta go, you guys. It's, I'm tired. <laughs> it's been so nice. The, um, uh, I watched it on Hulu, and it's got the little thing up in the corner, right, that says like why it's rated, what it's rated, and this movie truly does have mild nudity. Mm. It is truly mild. It's like little Nell's tits sometimes, uh, but just <laughs> barely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Literally, I was like, oh like my. they ran out of time and couldn't reshoot, so they left right. them, and they yeah. were like, "R is fine." It's fine. more than once, by the way. Yeah. Uh, like, there's one point where she pulls down on her pajama top and right through the hole in her pajama top. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> Andy. I'm telling I, you, I rewound it. And I was like, mild was this nudity? <laughs> yeah. Crazy. And now, to be fair, there is a shot of pornography during uh, Eddie's Teddy uh, when when we mentioned that he was into rock and roll porn. Uh, there's a there's a comma there, but I always do hear it as rock and roll porn, <laughs> which, sound, which sounds rad. Yeah, that's why my parents, you know, your parents are so scared when you're moved to the big city yeah. and start watching rock and roll porn. Rock and roll porn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Damn it, Janet. Back to <laughs> damn it, Janet. Damn it. Yeah, Janet. the song's great. I thought it was a it's fun great. song. I really, I that was like the first laugh out loud thing that I had with them just being like Janet, Janet. That was really funny. Uh-huh. And then now, now, so through this song, one of the things that he says, the basically the second or third verse of this song is, um, uh, "There's one thing left to do. Let's go see the man who began it when we met in his science exam." It, and that's Doctor Scott. So the whole the whole impetus of the movie is we just got engaged. <laughs> we We're gonna go, go see, see our, high, our school high school science, science teacher. teacher. Yeah, that was. Com- I mean, and I turned the subtitles on because I was missing a lot, and I same, was also yeah. Same. I, I, I would have never picked that up. No and I'm just clue. like now they're now they're in a car as movies do. They have to get to yeah. the place, like, you know. Wow, you know they crashed in for or run out of gas. I couldn't even. I could not even yeah. tell you why they stopped to go into that house. Why did they stop? 
Like there's so much kind of tangential plot though. That's the whole movie in just a sentence. You know, we gotta go visit this guy. And it's like if you if you check your phone, if you answer a question, if you do something, that's gone and you miss it. In fairness, like it's not a, it's not important. And 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 B, like even It's not important to understand the plot of this movie. Well, but even when you that's true in, in in earnest. But like even when you finally do hear it. It's not as if it makes a ton of sense that this is what they need to go do now that they're engaged. No, it's gibberish. Yeah. Like it doesn't. So I put that I put that all together like on this last round of watches and it didn't change anything for me about like what I understand about like the emotional motivation of anyone sure. or like it didn't change anything for me other than I was like it, it felt like I like finally looked up a song lyric. That I had been like sort of saying wrong, but like had the right number of syllables for, so like it worked. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It is funny too if you've been watching the movie for forever and you like are a fan of it that you are now just like ah, yeah, <laughs> ah, exactly, that's the, exactly. That's the time. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I was catching for the very first time, even on this last rewatch that's that we fun. did. Uh, I like that. Um, and like, and, and I'm talking about plot details. Like, I'm I like, feel the same way about what? Boss Baby. That's so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Every day I watch it, I find something new. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do understand. <laughs> so, Matt, you asked, why Why did they stop and go to that house? I believe that's the next thing that happens in the plot, right? Um. So first, well, briefly, first, we're going to meet the criminologist. The criminologist. Mm. Okay. Um, so this I is the this only guy. time that I have inserted him into the plot summary because we're going to, like, kind of jump back to him periodically. But, like, who jump is he? Left. We're going to <laughs> step to the right. Um. <laughs> And that, but like, who is he? When is he? There's there's a picture of Ronald Reagan on his desk, but like as we remember, this movie is filmed in 1975, so it's like at most Governor Reagan. Yeah. But he is at an unspecified point in the future, and he is just gonna kind of give us some narration and commentary on the events of the movie. As best as I can tell, he's like a detective who is trying to parse what happened and we see that he has police statements from brad and janet and dr scott which is kind he's of a diagrammed spoiler. the time warp he's diagrammed <laughs> yeah, the that's time true warp. that's true and i did and it helped it did help me <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I will say i've heard that song a lot and and pretend to know how to do that dance i <laughs> the diagrams genuinely helped me but they spell it out for you in the lyrics <laughs> i you know it's just it's a far cry from the cupid shuffle okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna get some diagrams of the cha-cha slide and we're gonna teach you some stuff i feel like there's a line from like time warp to cha-cha to cupid shuffle yeah absolutely it's an axis okay so we do meet the criminologist i know this guy uh he played blofeld in in an early james bond movie i forget which one but that's that's the only other thing I know him from. But he is, what I think he's so fun in this. Yeah, he's he so looks funny. like he belongs in a James Bond movie, honestly. Yeah. He totally does. Yeah. Yeah. He. So, you know, a lot of the things, a lot of the, the thing is that there's like almost a script for the audience now in these midnight showings the, f- that they call out things. He, I think, gets the worst of it because he leaves so much space in his sentences uh-huh. that people have written in all these things. I, that's the kind of thing that I'm kind of over to a large degree because it reminds me of like, that episode of Community where Pierce hires like an improv team to write write funny things to say during a movie for him when he goes mm. to watch a movie at yeah. Troy and Abed's house, and like it's like no, that's this is a little rehearsed to me. Like that's not really. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, I love the criminologist. Love it's it. just a jump to the left. <laughs> 
The newly engaged pair are en route to celebrate with their aforementioned high school science teacher, Dr. Scott, uh, when they get lost in the rain with a flat tire. Uh, seeking a phone to call for help, they walk to a nearby castle. It is in Kayfabe, a castle. Um, and here we get over at Frankenstein Place, where, okay, like, yeah. Well, sorry, I have a couple of things I want to jump in on first. So, first of all, they're listening to Ronald Reagan's resignation speech they're listening in the car. To Richard Nixon. Sorry, yes, thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, they're they're in an alternate timeline where they got to listen <laughs> to Ronald Reagan's <laughs> resignation speech. Uh, and so that we know that took place on like in an August sixth, whatever, nineteen seventy four. And yes, of course, we uh, know this. Of yes. course, we're whatever it is. Absolutely. But the criminologist says cold November evening. And I read that Richard O'Brien explained this, explains this continuity error by saying that Brad has the speech on tape and listens to it all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's still going to marry Oh, him. I love that. That's a great, that's a great <laughs> she's answer. She's into it. It's yeah, a really yeah. good answer. It's also yeah. just kind of like a fuck off answer you know <laughs> he's just like, that's sure. the question that you get right. asked and he's just like you know what yeah he actually loves to listen to it on tape it's his favorite dvd to have on hand <laughs> like come on it's true uh, i have a question uh you know this happened in <laughs> august and this is actually in november it's just like that's true these people are coming to him like it's stranger things and he's like you guys everyone sucks here just I'm let the cup like leave the starbucks cup on screen it's fine <laughs> those are two different references yeah. <laughs> so so brad and janet they are driving and then these motorcyclists pass them and then all of a sudden the road they were going to take is blocked and they back up and that's when they get the flat tire so here's my conspiracy theory i think that for whatever reason frank wants them there so the bikers yeah. close the road they put down spikes behind mm-hmm. the car and uh and my my reasoning for that is is the look that frank gives right to the camera when he says you got caught with a flat yeah how about that iconic yeah iconic into it. yeah into it. Sold. I re- i'm, I'm 100 on board with yeah. that yeah that Wait, is my I have head a, i'm pretty I sure that a follow is up question is a component of that that then like the castle came i think the castle has been there for a, for a little while oh like the motorcyclists are like hurting them yeah yeah basically okay, they're okay, getting okay, them okay. to the okay. yeah because the motorcyclists are all transylvanians it's yeah, all yeah. the same actors as the transylvanians by the way which is very funny to me because even richard o'brien was like why he's like this could be anyone <laughs> that could be any stunt people in the motorcyclists why are they having to do costume changes to go also be on the motorcycles <laughs> so then they sing over at the frankenstein place which I mean, I'm going to say it for every one of these songs because I don't think there's a bad song in this thing. This song rules. This song it is does. so good. I first yeah. so and, I first learned of this song at Love at First Fright. Okay. Six Flags Great is that, America. Is that the Six Flags show? Okay. 100%. Y'all, you can watch the whole thing on YouTube. And if you look up the No Mercy show, there's some dirty jokes in it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> true story. It's no true Mercy. Story. Um, I, Not my great America. I have known this song for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, i have known this song for a long time though because when i was a little high school theater kid there was a video that we were obsessed with of a guy named Stuart matthew price who played Riff Raff in the london tour of rocky horror and he sings the shit out of this song y'all should look it up yeah. Stuart matthew price he sounds unreal and so what a disappointment for me <laughs> 
to hear the most <laughs> mediocre vocal performance of that solo in the actual film. And good from for Richard you. From Richard O'Brien. And yeah. like legend, right? Good yeah. for you, yeah. man. But you weren't special to me two nights ago. And now you are. And that's beautiful. <laughs> but two nights ago, I was really let down. It's so funny too. You're like so excited to like, oh, this is the song that I know, and this is the song that I have a connection with. You're just like, wah wah. (laughs) Also, like they zoom in on him in the house, and it's like all spooky, and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna get it. Yeah. Then no, I do like that shot. If you actually, if if y'all, if y'all listen to Stuart Matthew Price sing this song and sing that solo, and and you have to imagine me. With that in my brain, with that performance, and then I'm sitting down on my couch. I've got like a drink in my hand. I'm like, oh, I had rehearsal all day. I'm so tired. And then he sings this verse, like he sings the film. It is just, there's no letdown. There's no letdown. <laughs> all right, I, I can't wait to see this. But yeah. the song is killer. Like the, I and I think yeah. I think Damage Janet is too. Like I think the first, I think the first couple of songs in this movie really set a killer tone yeah. that th- then if you don't have that nostalgia factor, I understand why I got lost because mm. it starts uh-huh. out so straightforward and like bop after bop after yeah. bop. Uh-huh. Because we're, we're going to be time warping very shortly. Yeah. So Jan, uh, Jan and Brad, Janet and <laughs> It's, uh, they you, guys can't, are friends, you, can't, you guys are buds. You can't say it that way though. Jan it has Brad. to be Brad and Janet in my head. Uh, Jan and Brad. Uh, are greeted by Ruff Raff at the door, the butler with the indescribable accent, um, and step inside the castle where they also meet the maid Magenta and the, a- with, the maid with an even more indescribable accent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is it? I mean, I I've always thought of it as like like where Count Chocula was from, like that version <laughs> of Transylvania, <laughs> Chocolavania, totally. yeah. Um, and then also I've written down here a tap dancing sequin fairy named Columbia which I now understand I think just is Little Nell yeah Um, and they sing the time warp she just shows up she wasn't even cast in the movie she's like I'm here and I'm dancing and put me in they put she just like snuck in the yeah, shot right? and they were like this is actually ah, well, kind of working her, i guess yeah she seems She's so here. old school show business to me like literally yeah. i read that she would always say nell's the name tappen's the game absolutely i, I have like, to what? leave this is disgusting <laughs> what to me decade are you from <laughs> i gotta go i gotta turned go. off her camera yeah. <laughs> no yeah nell does a great uh little tap honestly so there is so the time warp is kind of a nonsensical song even though it goes so hard i so what i wrote down here as a plot for it is they sing the time warp as a kind of welcome tour and introduction to the annual transylvanian convention that is as close as i could get mm-hmm. to like what uh-huh. is this thing and this song also is like sort of ubiquitous like you hear it at the dentist office during Halloween. You know what I mean? They sing it at uh, hockey games at the University of Wisconsin. Oh. Yeah. And so like it's on every Halloween playlist, but it still doesn't take away from it from me. Like it still does. When you still listen to it, there's something so hypnotizing about the mix of this song to me. Mm -hmm. And particularly the way that the vocals are pitched during Mm -hmm. the the chorus that just like works for me through Mm -hmm. and through still to this day. Yeah. You got all those uh, Transylvanians in black tie and sunglasses doing their Mm -hmm. dance. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So then I want to talk about Lil Nell's verse for a second, because this is Lil Nell's verse before she starts tapping. <laughs> she says, I was walking down the street having a think when a snake of a guy gave me an evil wink. He picked me up. He took me by surprise. He had a pickup truck and the devil's eyes. So 
we are to infer a that Frank, Doctor Frankenfurter, owns a pickup truck. Hot. <laughs> and the best explanation okay. I could find for that is that as an alien, he misunderstood the meaning of pickup truck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honey, it's easy to pick up women when you have a pickup truck. I'm gonna tell you that right. Now. <laughs> Uh, anyway, and then she tap dances for, uh, I don't know, it's probably 30 seconds, but it feels like three to five minutes. <laughs> Just depends on the night. Sometimes it feels like three, sometimes it feels like five. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, for Deanna uh, and I, it sounds like it felt like five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a certain part where I was just like, this is okay. I can just like sneak off to my phone. My hand just reaches for my cell phone. I'm like, I get it. They're dancing. That's nice. They're anyway, dancing. What's happening on the yeah. internet? <laughs> I just love how into it the criminologist is the whole time. Like every time you cut back to the criminologist, he is more into the time warp. To He's the point escalating where it. Admit, yeah, he is screaming on his desk. <laughs> I just wanted to say one of my like issues with the film is that it unlike a unlike something like little shop of horrors where it is such a small ensemble and it works because there really is no ensemble in little shop rocky horror felt like one that like now if they did that movie today they would have 50 people in that scene mm-hmm. and right. and time warp is the one like group number where it doesn't bother me that it is very clearly (laughs) like eight people who spent two weeks in a studio in like east london and then put on a bunch of different costumes to film this entire movie in in a (laughs) month and a half like time there's something about how small that number is in contrast to how huge that song is globally, mm-hmm. that like I was for, I was here mm-hmm. for it. I was and like, also, how... I'm still at the point where I'm like, this movie's very charming for me yeah. right now. Like yeah. it still has me at this point. So Brad and Janet, uh, the time warp ends. Brad and Janet back away, trying to be like white people polite. Um... <laughs> Any of you fellas know how to Madison? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just interrupted their culture or something like that. <laughs> yeah. They may do some more folk dancing. <laughs> I love Brad. He's yeah. very good. Barry uh, Bostwick slaps. <laughs> I, Barry Bostwick does understand, like, the, it's like the capital B Brad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He's like, totally. Um, and then they're intercepted by Dr. Frank N. Furter. Tim Curry in his greatest performance. We can have that conversation. I'd love to have that conversation. <laughs> Well, let's save that conversation for our episode on Muppet Treasure Island. Uh, or okay. Home Alone wow. 2. <laughs> or Home Alone 2. That's part of it. It's all part of it. Um, and now we get a sweet trans space sexual from Transylvania. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, again, a lot of words we don't use. I want to say that I was dumbfounded by Tim Curry in this movie. Yeah. He is so good. In this movie that I think is so okay. But he (laughs) is every bit as brilliant in it as everyone has told me he is for the last 30 years of my life. This is going to be a hot take and a weird comparison. He comes on that screen and owns it like Ariana DeBose owns her role in West Side Story. They couldn't be more different. I love it. But the way that he comes on that screen and starts that song, I mean, my jaw dropped. And I was alone. Like I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not being hyperbolic. I thought he. I thought this number was like why I was like, oh, I get it. Yeah, I get it. It's incredible. I have this thing, and the first time I remember having it was uh, Michael Keaton and Beetlejuice. And it's just, I love when I'm watching a performance, and I'm like, 
how did who even taught them how to do this? Like, yeah. where did they even get this from? How did they create this? This yeah. is incredible. It's like little things that you see him do, and you're just like, wait, what? Like, it's so yeah. good. Yeah, in that song and throughout the whole thing, it'll just like little things that he'll say and little like glances that he'll give to other people where it's like maybe he's not even the one talking but you're still just so drawn to him glued to him yeah Yeah. sometimes he looks right at me that scares me (laughs) into your soul it is like weirdly an intimate performance Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and like i can only imagine seeing it in that 63 seat theater you know yeah i didn't know that he originated it in like in the very original i knew that he had done it on stage before he did the film but talk about lightning in a bottle Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wild. One quote that I read from him said that he made himself fat and plain to escape from the reputation of this role. Like he basically says that he let himself go because he got sick of like being frank to people. And he's he's since made peace with it and he's I think he's better about it now. And he in fact played the criminologist mm-hmm. in that uh Laverne Cox Fox Live version. Right. He was tired of people. Um, being so attracted to him and like yeah, men and people women of throwing every themselves gender. Yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah. People being yeah. jealous that he looks so good and <laughs> yeah, so he's like screw this. Corsets. I'm gonna become the monster that people know from Congo. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> Man, but yeah, this the song is incredible. This was a big karaoke jam of mine for a while. <laughs> is now when we have the conversation about um that word or yeah yeah yeah. yeah this is, I mean, you can't avoid it in this song. It's the, it's, mm-hmm. it's the titular word. What is it like to interact with that song and that character today as people who have, who have like nostalgia and I imagine fell for this movie before sort of you had the social conscious conscience or responsibility that I am. It sounds like we all have now. Um, Awkward. <laughs> like Andy and I were talking about this a lot in the build up to it because it was something I like we just wanted to make sure like was part of this conversation. Um and I love that you brought in what Laverne Cox has said about when she played Frank because she speaks so eloquently about it. About the way that this movie is part is so entwined in queer culture for so many people and like because it existed at this time where like people contemporaneous to that were using the word transvestite to describe themselves. I don't know how to hold that and also hold the other really hateful ways that it was used other than to just look at it as where it is in context. One of my favorite stand-up specials of all time is Eddie Izzard's Dress to Kill from 1998 or so. And he, I mean, he, he, he straight up classifies himself as a transvestite in that special. And he talks about how he's, He's more of a business transvestite, you know. That was like halfway between now and Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm. Sure. And he he was still classifying himself in that way. And even Steph and I Googled, you know, about an hour ago, we Googled is transvestite a slur. And like somebody is in a, a subreddit that was like, ask a trans, basically, ask mm-hmm. the trans community. And somebody yeah. said it's trans, transvestite a slur. And all the comments are just like, no, it's just, it's just outdated, really. Like, it's just mm-hmm. not a yeah. term that we use anymore. And so it doesn't... It, it, it doesn't, like, truthfully, it doesn't, it's not like we would, if we were rewriting Rocky Horror today, we wouldn't use that word, but, like, it's it doesn't bother me that it's there, because it was there. I think that it does, I will say that it, when we went back and watched it for this, it, it had been, like, you know, maybe 10 years since we watched it before, and, like, it did... It was a little bit jarring. Jarring to me is that you don't remember that we watched it last Halloween. Well, I'm counting that. <laughs> and that's as why part I'm kind of, of in... scarred. 
Matt, can you tell us more about what Laverne Cox said? In what I found from her comments on it is she talked about how um, the it was it sounds like it was less about the word itself. I don't think ever like changing the word or changing the song was ever on the table, as I don't know that I would ever advocate that it should have been. Um, but she talks about how the role of Dr. Frankenfurter was so monumental to her and, and how she um, first engaged with Rocky horror when she was um, non-binary identifying as non-binary and that, uh, that Tim Curry's performance, she felt gave her a permission to be more fully herself, which is right. is like the motto of the film, right? Um, Don't dream it, do it. Don't dream it, it, be it. Be yeah. it. Be it. Yeah. That was close. Um, <laughs> I'll edit that. How... You said it right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's gonna be so much. Which work. is the which is the the moral of the film, right? Don't dream it. Be it. <laughs> and edit point. <laughs> Um, so so she talks about that and in and in it she she talks about you know um there a conversation was had about her dr frankenfurter would be female so i don't know if they used the pronoun like she her in the film anywhere but i but she talks about how her dr frankenfurter is indeed female because she is a trans woman and therefore her dr frankenfurter is a trans woman and and so the decision to keep it for the reboot came from the sort of the place in history that this movie holds for the trans community and for the LGBTQ community at large. And in that sort of, as I've thought about it over the last couple of days has made me feel better about it too, because like, do I think it's a great way to start that conversation? No. Do I wish that there was uh, a more um, wholly embracing and less patronizing and, and less um, problematic large piece of media that we could trace that back to? Of course I do, but we don't have that. But you know what we do have now is kinky boots. And like, would we have (laughs) kinky boots if we didn't have the Rocky Horror Picture Show? I don't know. And, but what I do know is that I'm grateful that we have kinky boots because I can take my mom to kinky boots and she can enjoy kinky boots and she would not enjoy Rocky horror. If we're talking about intention versus impact, I think the intention of both and the impact was positive, but I think overwhelmingly it sounds in, in the minimal research I've been able to do in the last week, I'm finding a lot of members of that community speaking about how it was very impactful and very, it gave them some permission to be more holy who they are. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. And it makes me more prone to celebrate this film and, and that portion of it. It seems like Richard O'Brien has actually um, gotten pretty transphobic and weird (laughs) since then even though he identifies as like non-binary that's really sad but he it seems like actual uh transgender people he has a weird problem with also matt this will i don't want to sell on your side of the street but i do happen to know that the glee version of this song that transvestite is not the word that they change they change change the word transsexual oh sure to sensational Mm, (laughs) the simple a to b (laughs) (laughs) i've got a good glee edit coming up later oh yeah that's a good one i just want to add one thing to what matt said which was perfectly said i just wanted to add to it too that like i think that that speaks to the content of like this story in this piece that like you can do that little like a to b you can that the that what is underneath it is um 
what people are connecting with and mm-hmm. that like it, it that just seems like an important distinction to me as opposed to say the rapes that are coming up <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert yeah. yeah spoiler alert yeah trigger alert spoiler warning <laughs> So what? What this immediately when Frank leaves, they start stripping Brad and Janet. Yeah, for no reason, and without like they don't without asking them, um, they it just happens. They're being hospitable. They're getting them out of their wet clothes, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> and Brad yeah. and Janet protests, and Brad's whole thing is, "Nope, we'll go along now, and we'll pull out our ace when the time is right." Literally, it's like, "What is what your is ace? ace? You're in your underwear. Get the phone. We have one thing yeah. that we need to do. We need to get the phone and get out of the house." Yeah. It's, Madness. They really lost. They really lost sight of the goal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They really lost the plot. Um, and then they're taken to Frank's lab, where Frank brings his creation to life—a tall, muscular, handsome blonde man named Rocky, who is just immediately anxious and sings about it. Hard uh, <laughs> really. And the song is called a uh, sort of Damocles. So I, I just want to say real quick that this, this is Peter Hinwood as the title character, Rocky horror. This is basically his only film role of note. And he quits acting right after this, <laughs> which is crazy because he's a, he's obviously a beautiful man. Yeah. He's not singing. He's the one person that here that's not singing uh, and is, is dubbed by someone else. But they let Jack sing that solo. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine how bad that guy's voice is. And they're like, you know what? You can speak. It, honestly <laughs> i think it sounds good if you just talk uh but yeah he's he's an antiques dealer in london to this day the his last interaction with rocky horror was he found his gold hot pants in 1994 and he sold them at auction and now you can see them at the orlando hard rock cafe i knew it was six a hard flags rock cafe. great america i should have uh, jumped on that guess. how much did you know how much, how much you sold them for it, yeah it was a, it was not a lot by the way i was too young to bid yeah <laughs> it, was, it was like it was like four thousand dollars or something. Shut the hell up! Ooh, that's not enough. That's yeah. Even in ninety four, that's not enough. It's not, not enough. enough. But so this is um this is like one of the longer stretches without songs. But then we're about to get like four bangers in a row, if you ask me. But we'll we'll get there. So the first banger is immediately Frank singing about his intentions for Rocky. Well, the first one is sort of Damocles. Oh yeah. Okay. So. The Rocky second song. one, yeah, is called I Can Make You a Man. I can tell you guys a little bit about this song, which is like a reference that I happen to have in case you guys don't have it. Uh, this whole song is based on an ad that used to be on the back of comic books that like I have on, on some of my old comic books that like is a guy on a beach and he gets sand kicked in his face. And then the ad is like, don't be a 98 pound weakling. Let Charles Atlas, you know, bulk you up and get the Charles Atlas seal of approval. And then mm-hmm. it's like, that guy comes back and he's muscular and he steals his girlfriend back and he like leaves on the beach with this girl. So this whole song is like basically structured around that thing. And that's why it's all about the Charles Atlas seal of approval. Mm-hmm. A week lead weight, 98 pounds will get sand in his face when kicked to the ground. Sorry, to the ground. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Oh, now I get it. No, I'm good. like, wait, is this, a, this isn't how it I goes. suddenly know all the, every lyric. In the <laughs> yeah, like you're quoting it back to me and I'm like, Oh, is that what was happening? I'm just like I maybe it was also I'm just like so entranced with Tim Curry just dancing around and I'm just like I'm having a good I time, I think. I love like, the songs. Rocky is I, just born, he's like giving him weight sets and he's like mm-hmm. just singing about his his design. And he's like, look at him. how yeah. buff this guy is. Look at how strong yeah. this guy is. And I was like, I do like this song, actually. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's a good point. <laughs> he makes some great points on this song. I don't know what he's saying, but I love it. I also thought that was a great song, and that was a song I didn't know. And I, but it very well may just be because Tim Curry could 
have seen Old MacDonald, and I would have been like, wow, this is incredible. It's <laughs> fair. It's really c- connecting with those animals. Um... <laughs> <laughs> he understands a cow in a way I just like, could never could. So then there's a buzzer. Uh, and Frank is interrupted, how rude, by Columbia's boyfriend, Eddie, played by Meatloaf. Eddie is a delivery boy, and Eddie is the person whose brain Frank has recently used to create Rocky, uh, and he breaks out of the deep freeze where Frank has been hiding his body uh, while riding a motorcycle and singing Hot Patootie Bless My Soul. Can I just say, I had seen most of the movie up until that point, and when Eddie shows up, I was so blindsided <laughs> i had no idea what was gonna happen i was like what is he doing here and it's meatloaf why is he a why zombie? is he here and what's going on i like paused and picked up like the wikipedia to be like what's happening like how have i never and that was when i was really like what the fuck is this movie about <laughs> but oh uh, then i mean like i'm gonna jump ahead 30 seconds of like when he kills him i was like oh my god eddie like it's a real roller coaster for me when eddie showed up i have a list of notes on my phone and it was during that point as well that i wrote the following this movie is so much more of a fever dream than i ever thought it could be (laughs) like it's crazy that they sat and watched this final edit and said yes that's it (laughs) no notes perfect yeah I would like to know why is Eddie there? Because that never really landed for me. I did love the song, and I am a fan of Bat Out of Hell, the Meatloaf musical. Uh-huh. So I was all for the moment, but I don't know why it happened. I think I have like forty percent of it. I think you have to do it, and I think I got that forty percent like in the last week. So I do know that he's been like partying with the Transylvanians. We know that because he sends a letter to his uncle later warning him that there's something weird going on in this castle. He's Columbia's boyfriend, so my my guess is Columbia brought him in. And then at some point, Frank used half of his brain to put into the Rocky Horror. Okay. And so, and we learn that in one line. There's like a line where Frank says, I shouldn't have uh, uh, split a, br- a brain between them or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that explains to me the gash on his forehead is that Frank went in and took out half of his brain and that's why he put him in the freezer. And then he's he's breaking out. You gotta keep your brain fresh. Yeah. But he <laughs> yeah. kept him in the freezer with his motorcycle. <laughs> with his <Right>. motorcycle. <laughs> can I just say, he's performing lobotomies. Frank, can, is he's such a talented doctor. <laughs> he's such a yeah. talented... Wow, Deanna's I'm... got a crush. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I would like to talk about how the entire reason for Frank killing Eddie here is that he is jealous about the shift in attention. He's like mad that Jelly cut that Eddie cut off his song, and that how how into it Rocky is, and how all the mm-hmm. Transylvanians are sort of transfixed with him, um, transfixed with him, and um, <laughs> fix that in post, and uh, yeah, and I think that's why he kills him, and and it even seems to me like. Because even Riff Raff and Magenta are dancing, and then and then they they seem even a little put off by the fact that Frank killed them. Like they're like, "Hey, man, a bridge too far." <laughs> hey, kill. Honestly. hey, fun is fun. Yeah, but this is too far. We were having a good time, but a successful foreshadow. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is kind of which is kind of nice in a movie that I otherwise did not understand much of the storytelling <laughs> device yeah. on the whole. Yeah. Fair. I do want to mention too that this is this movie is obviously like a throwback again like you said the whole LFO thing like the opening song is like a throwback to all these old science fiction movies 
this movie in, in itself is kind of a throwback to like old science fiction movies where like, I mean, Matt, I'm sure you've seen the original Little Shop of Horrors where mm-hmm. like the plot is wafer thin. Totally. <laughs> <Yeah>. Totally. <laughs> like that's what a lot of those movies were like back then. So I, so I appreciate the fact that the plot <laughs> like hangs on by a thread because a lot of that, that to me seems like part of the throwback element. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention how delightful it is that we all agree the plot hangs on by a thread, but Andy could write a dissertation about the plot. <laughs> like, like, Andy is like, but if you notice, yeah. he wrote a letter to his uncle. And I'm like, I didn't know that he had family. Certainly we all have seen this, yeah. And the, and it was actually August when they recorded it, even though he said it was November. Uh, Wait, Matt, I, I have to ask, do you know who Eddie's uncle is? You do. Ooh, you do. Trust yourself. Exciting. Trust yourself. You know who it is get there he's a hint he's in a wheelchair i mean yeah it's right it's the it's the doctor guy it's Certainly Scott, obvious. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah your eyes diverted a little bit off screen it was a double <laughs> cast role on stage and meatloaf would would also play dr scott mm, uh, which i've heard sure. and it is not it's not good to me it does not sound good to me uh <laughs> sounds bad to I, me. I, I love jonathan evans uh or sorry jonathan adams's mm. per- performance here and the way that he sings in the German accent. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So, okay. So he kills Annie and then he um, claims that it's a mercy killing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's bedtime. Frank Off and Rocky go to the bridal suite. One quick mm-hmm. thing that you skipped is that we get the I Can Make You a Man reprise where Frank straight up does the Elaine dance from Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. He's like throwing his thumbs back and yeah. kicking his heels up. And I'm like, that's the, that's the fucking Elaine. <laughs> Where's yeah. the lie? Uh, but yeah, then it is bedtime. Then it's bedtime. Brad and Janet are in separate bedrooms and each are visited and sexually assaulted by Frank, who's using <laughs> some kind of combination of voice work and wigs to, be, <laughs> to pretend to be Janet and Brad, respectively. Uh, like Phantom of the Opera level, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, yeah. theater magic that yeah. Frank is using. We, the audience, see it dirt through these, like, sheets. Yeah, yeah, in silhouette. But, like... That I I don't know. I guess it is effective because Frank has very distinctive hair and so they pull that wig off and Yeah. yeah. So so I mean, yeah, when we talk about the, the sexual assault here, what it we're talking about how he misrepresents himself as their lover in order to uh gain entry into their bed, and then he seduces them on top of that. Seduction is such a nice word for coercion. (laughs) (laughs) That is the better word, yeah. But it's also like, didn't... I'm sorry. Did you not just sing a whole song about how you built your big, strong man, and now you're married, and now you can go be with your... You built yourself a fuck doll. What are you doing? Yeah. Now you have your beefcake, and and now you have to ruin these people who are... I I can't stress enough just trying to use the phone. And he's like, anyway, (laughs) take a rest. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. And then dinner happens in like the next scene. They're like, dinner time. And I was so pissed. Anyway, 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 we're back to this. But it's just like, that's a good point. What the hell is going on? I'm like, uh, not to, I mean, his, he wants to turn them against each other. He also is sick and perverted and he's, you know, wants to get his way with everybody. I get that. But it's also just like, we, we needed to, you know, we needed to do it. That's sick. No, we needed to put Brad and Janet against each other. But the mm, only yeah. way to do it is to have this person come and like seduce them both in the and not only that, but we're also gonna use the exact same script and just copy and paste Brad. I was like <laughs> lazy writing. Anyway. Now, um, now that, 
<laughs> that actually does make me laugh. The fact that he uses all the exact same words to seduce Brad, to coerce Brad, as yeah. he does Janet. My problem with this bit is that it is it is not only sexual assault and coercion. It is also, I would argue, homophobic because... The whole, like, there is, there is the initial funny reveal of Janet and, and Frankenfurter, who we all, as a society, like, at least at that time, right, you know that society looked at Tim Curry as a man, despite the fact that he was playing a non-binary character the entire time. But the audience, they're observing that scene as a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. So then the real joke comes in when he does the same thing to Brad, and then still has sex with brad which is so the punchline of that joke is haha two men having sex Mm -hmm. which is not funnier than a man and a woman having sex or than the the conceit of this joke entirely Mm -hmm. so that is the sequence that is most difficult for me to like swing into contemporary like but the good the movie's done Mm -hmm. i'm like that is like a pretty harmful sequence Mm -hmm. however and my question to the two comedy folk in the chat, Steph, do not answer this question. <laughs> I'm sweating. I'm crying. I have a nursing <laughs> perspective here if you're interested We'll get in the that nursing note. perspective when we talk about the lobotomy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but I've been, curious about this. I've been curious about this. Do we think that part of the more problematic elements of Rocky Horror were necessary to get an audience of conservative-minded people in that time frame. Like, do we think that part of why this movie was seen by so many people was because of some of that humor that is inherently homophobic, problematic, right? Do we think that that is part of why it was successful is because people didn't come in and feel like they were watching a movie that was pro-LGBTQ. They felt like they were watching a funny movie that was very sexy and charged and and the joke of a man in a dress. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. d- is my question making yeah. sense? Yeah. yeah. You want to go first? Uh, well, I mean, you can't control you can't control how people are going to enjoy you. Uh, and, and sure. so that's, that's a problem I have cause I run a roast show <laughs> and, and part sure. of it that I run is in Kentucky and like some of the audience members. Uh, and I mean, you know, Deanna, that like the audience members that come up and talk to you after the show are always the least savory people, <laughs> the last person you want to come up and talk yeah. to you after a show. And it's like, Oh, did you get all the wrong things? <laughs> from what I was trying to do? Like, uh, yeah, the joke. Yeah. I, I absolutely. You're right. That the joke is like, ha ha. He's that man is having sex with a man the way that he would have sex with a woman. And it's like, yeah, but at the time that was somehow progressive to show, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like even though it's being played for a joke. And the physical comedy is funny. Mm -hmm. Like I completely agree. And I'm not trying to like completely discredit the scene. I just want to ask a follow-up question because I think that it does the, um, the like scene we get after that, where Janet sees them like cuddling and smoking a cigarette First, that, like, changes. It doesn't change it. It colors it for me. Like, we get this very, like, comical, these two men are going to have sex joke. But then we see it followed up with, like, this this sort of, like, they're having this very tender moment. Yeah, I remember telling you stuff, like, oh, look, he's just talking to Frank about his dad now. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just, I'm curious. Well, That's why. It didn't initially. But, <laughs> but it's a good point. I also think very 
obviously the, it matters very little what Brad's sexual identity is in this movie. And again, it's not that I don't think it's funny. And I, I think it's one of the like more interesting shot moments of the film. I think it's very successful and also perhaps the the thing that makes that would make me nervous about sharing it with somebody who hadn't seen it yet yeah. more than any of the of the of Frankenfurter's identity would mm-hmm. what's your take Didi? personally as like we're watching this for like comedy right we're watching is this uh, what is it worth it is this scene worth the comedy that we're getting from it right to me i'm like we could have lived without it because you know it's it's not giving anything else right is it really like giving so much do we really need all of this to drive the rest of it forward or could we have gotten into the part where we see them smoking a cigarette and talking on the end of the bed when susan strandon finds them like could we have skipped to Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. but at the same time like we keep harking back on like this was in the 70s and it was like you had never seen before you know i mean it's hard because it is a assault but it's like i'm sure it never crossed their mind to be like let's show this in a nice way or let's show this in a way that isn't haha isn't it so funny these guys are having sex the the thing I think it does give us from the rest of the movie is that Janet likes sex now. <laughs> that <laughs> totally. it like like and she's she's about uh-huh. to sing of that. And you know what would have been a fun turn that I just thought of right now is if Janet and Rocky are like, wait, we're liberated. I'm liberated now, and I'm touch touch me. And then if Brad was like, wait, I'm liberated now, and I'm actually Dr. Frankenfurter is my boyfriend, and that would uh-huh. and. I have to make a quick call to Hollywood. <laughs> but I got to call that one person who's still living in the opening number. <laughs> She's going to love it. I'm going to say, hey, let's go buy those hot pants in Orlando because we got a movie to make, babe. Like if I was going to rewrite this, maybe I'd have Frank seduce them both into a threesome. And then it just mm-hmm. all comes from there. Yeah. I've never been, man, if I could tell 12 year old me how I just perked up at the, you being like, what if a threesome was the solution? And I was like, yes, that, that will make the world better. You're like, okay, I got to go play Girl. Link. <laughs> wow. We were in high school when that Deep was cut. happening. Okay. <laughs> okay. Once I was a selfish fool. So- <laughs> all right. So we're, let's go into touch it, touch it, touch me. I mean, we basically covered it, but... Mm-hmm. The only thing that I think that we haven't said aloud is that, like, Janet sees Brad and Frank and then immediately discovers Rocky and then touch, 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 touch Rocky, touch who has been... Ha- has had dogs set on him by Magenta <laughs> and Riff Raff because they're they're kind of jealous of his whole deal. Mm-hmm. And so he's he's been attacked by dogs. Janet's been uh, spurned. You know, not spurned, but certainly uh, cheated on by Brad mm-hmm. right after she cheated on him. Literally, and... that was my thing. She's like, how could you, Brad? And I'm like, where were you 10 minutes ago? <laughs> like, yeah. what? Yeah. And uh, then she thinks touch, touch, touch me, which is a great song. Yeah. It's just a bop. Dr. Scott arrives at the castle. He's looking for his nephew, Eddie. He doesn't know about Brad and Janet, even though he's their science teacher. And then Dr. Scott comes in, and then Frank doesn't buy the coincidence mm-hmm. that that he doesn't, they all don't know what they're up and we get that like, Janet, Dr. Scott, Janet, so Brad, funny. Rocky. Great moment. Really beautiful. funny. Truly beautiful. I rewatched that. Uh, also shot for shot remade in the Glee episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it's dinner time after bedtime. Fabulous. It's dinner time now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they quickly realize that the, the dinner has been prepared from Eddie's mutilated remains. <laughs> um, Columbia flees 
And then Dr. Scott eulogizes Eddie with just an absolute bop. I love this song. Mm -hmm. This is like such a little rockabilly song. Uh, It's called Eddie's Teddy. He wasn't German the whole time, right? It wasn't until it says Von Scott that then he starts having a German accent. Is that right? He he's German. He is German the whole time. Oh, I just started paying attention. Okay, got it. <laughs> well, but I think that that's a reveal. Yeah. Well, uh, my theory is that Doctor Scott. This isn't outwardly said at any point in the movie, but my theory is that maybe Doctor Scott used to be a Nazi because it seems to he seems to not want people to know that he used to be mm-hmm. Von Scott. And they're just going to and... glide over that with one sentence. <laughs> Yeah. They're going to bring in, like, maybe he's a Nazi and yeah. maybe add one other thing to this character and be like, but we're not going to talk about it. So then we get a song that's not on the soundtrack. Uh, that's a little movie exclusive, unless you have a deluxe version oh, yeah. of the soundtrack. It's called Hot Dog. It's also called Wise Up Janet Weiss on some versions. But this is a song where Frank runs around the castle sort of taunting Janet about the sex that they had. And more importantly, it's where we finally get the rhyme Janet and Planet, which we've made it a good hour 20 yeah. before yeah. we hour, hour, hour 10. You got to make them the anticipation thing. Not for nothing. <laughs> we, we get the we get the triple rhyme Planet Schmanet Janet. That's God is real. <laughs> I love the burn. You're a hot dog. And then also all, like yeah. the mustard quips. I was just like, "What are we?" It's, it took us this long to acknowledge that his name is Frankenfurter. Oh, and I'm just making that connection right now. Great. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Let it. Let the record show. Deanna got it last. <laughs> and I actually can't believe that. I can't believe that is fact. Um, now, do you guys the... get that Frankenfurter is based on Frankenstein? Yes. Because he's building a man. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a, I, I, it was like maybe 10 years, 15 years after I saw it that I first got that. <laughs> Matt got it from the start, I can tell. I can tell from the Y'all, I just, I didn't, I will not watch this movie again this year. Yeah. But I, <laughs> this year. does make me want to yeah. because it. I'm impressed more. Yeah, things. now that all these things are coming out, I'm just like, hmm. Yeah, like I hope that six years from now I watch this movie again. Like I hope I watch it once a year for the next six years and then we, we come back all together when we're out of movie musicals. <laughs> let's meet right here at six years. Guys, in 20 now. years, let's meet back. On this Zoom And we'll call. never change. Let's promise to never change. I just, sorry, Andy, I was too focused on the plot to find all these little Easter eggs that you hidden around this movie for me. Right. Yeah, right. You're too focused on seeing Little Nell's nipples through her pajamas. <laughs> you sick. <laughs> you sicko, dude. You're sick. But yeah, so he's going to, Frank is going to uh, get Magenta to throw the switch on the the Medusa. Uh, the Medusa she, transducer. Well, yeah, the, the transducer will seduce you. And uh, he's going to turn really everybody into statues. Uh, yeah, he gets uh, Dr. Scott, Brad, Janet, Rocky, and Columbia. Yeah. Tragic that your clothes don't come with you when you're medusified. <laughs> really like, a shame. I was like, oh my God. Uh-huh. And they also just like conveniently fall to a puddle on the floor. Mm-hmm. So I had a theory that, um, so he da- he says, um, but you better not, Brad says, you better not try to hurt her, Frank Furter. And then he gets frozen right in mid-punch, right? Yeah. And my theory is that because in the stage show, they probably had to take a strong action and then just freeze in place. You know what I mean? Totally. And so, mm-hmm. but so it makes for all these great statues because everyone, everyone's doing crazy things. There's also, can I just say, there were other statues like that were Medusa statues in that lab that I'm just like, who else has been who here? Who was that? Yeah. Who is this person? Yeah. It was not just, who when else it starts, trapped? it's just a uh, statue. But now I'm just yeah. like, who is this man? Yes, yeah. 100%. Who is this 
Who is this man? This also feels like the right time to share that. The, uh, the whole time we were in the lab, I was like, this feels very influenced by Willy Wonka. And what a treat for me to now do that math and realize that Willy Wonka was influenced by Rocky Horror. What a gift! Oh my god! And what of the floor show? Mm -hmm. Says the criminal. That's how he says that. Yeah. Frank dresses them in cabaret costumes and then unfreezes them, and they all one by one do their verse in the floor show. And we, I, I think of this as like the stretch of side B of Abbey Road. It's just like boom, boom, boom. Mm -hmm. So we get rose tint my world. Don't dream it, be it, and then wild and untamed thing, and then a little interjection, and then I'm going home. The reveal of the swimming pool in the floor show, and the change when the hard cam goes from above to, like, down in the in the pool, and you see him sort of, like, as he is instead of his big projected self. Oh, mm-hmm. breaks my heart. I love it. I love the whole floor show. I, I told Steph it's, like, one of the only points in the musical where people actually sing about their feelings instead of like a bunch of nonsensical lyrics just set to a bop of a, of a rhythm. Yeah. Uh, but like in this one, people are actually all singing about their feelings at the end. It's like everyone's singing one last I want number. It's all going to come to a crashing halt when Riff Raff and Magenta kick in the door. They're suddenly in their spacesuits. Mm-hmm. Uh, Riff Raff Declaring has a, mutiny. Yeah, Riff Raff has a, a gun that is shaped just like the pitchfork from American Gothic. <laughs> and uh which is a running theme for some reason he's like your lifestyle's too extreme and now i'm your new commander and you're my prisoner and then frank sings the mo- to me the most underrated song in this musical this i would say this was uh what musical fans call a skip track for me for a long time mm-hmm. until i finally like really got into it and now this is maybe my favorite song in the musical and it's frank's song i'm going home mm-hmm. uh it's just beautiful. It's just it's it's slow. It's a it's a it's a ballad, which like I didn't think I needed from this movie. It's um he's got the 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 rest of the group doing background vocals and like sort of completing his sentences and like this like very uh I don't know how else to describe it than a sham a champagne high by Sister Hazel type of way. We're all of a certain <laughs> age, right? <laughs> and uh and uh, yeah, I just love it. It's good. It's it's Frank's biggest most vulnerable moment, mm-hmm. and then. He's going to get killed right after it. Like, I like I bet seeing this live, and, and especially, like, directed by somebody who has, like, a deep affinity for it, who understands how it functions, because the music is so good, and it is such a star vehicle for these, you know, core four or five people. Like, it's a star vehicle for Frank, but, like, I, I bet when you have a killer Brad, Janet, Rocky, and Frank, and, and Riff Raff, too, like, that moment must just be, it's got to be a killer 15 minutes. Okay, so they sing, uh, they're going to kill Frank, and then they're going to kill Rocky as he tries to climb the Archeo radio tower with Frank on his he back. He has a nice King Kong moment on the Archeo yeah. tower. Yeah. It's beautiful. A nice call back to another movie musical film that Tim Curry was in, Annie, in ah. which they also scale a building ah. for no apparent reason. <laughs> How do you do that? Let me climb. It's like you're not getting out. Like you're just going up. You're just, just making it harder up, for yourself. And then there's a it's, ceiling. And then, you're then you have more to fall. literally just buying time yeah, yeah. When you both for a more traumatic ending. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we also learn that, the, so Riff Raff, we learned through Riff Raff's dialogue that they are from the planet of transsexual in the galaxy of Transylvania. I did pick that up. I did catch that. Okay. That was not too subtle for me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and then Riff Raff warns Brad and Janet and Dr. Scott to flee, and they do, and the castle lifts off into space. If you're watching the US version, you don't get the song Superheroes. If you're watching the UK version, you do get the song Superheroes, where Brad and Janet crawl around in the wake of the castle. They're like just like in the fog, crawling at each other. Yeah. I don't want to out you, but I do want to ask, do you know that because of Wikipedia or because you are that much of a nerd about this? <laughs> I want to vouch for him. And he's a that, big like, nerd. <laughs> I, I know that he that he's a big fucking nerd. <laughs> Yeah, that's all. Yeah, I have to say. No, the, the DVD basically when you started, it's like, do you want the UK version or the US version? I know it because of the obsession that I had with this movie in 2005 or whatever. That like there is two versions of this movie, and one of them has the song, and the other one only has the song on the soundtrack. I love that. That's the reason. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and they said yeah. they said no, none for Americans. And I just wanted to shout out the science fiction and double feature reprise because I find it charming. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the no film. Movie. Let me see if there's any extra little tidbits I want to drop here. So the one one that I do think is is pretty important here is that Tim Curry got to meet King Charles. Well, he's now King Charles and Princess Diana uh, because she because Princess Diana loved Tim Curry in this movie. She requested the meeting. Uh, he was at the end of the receiving line and Prince Charles like he was like, oh, I kind of recognize him from television. But Princess Diana pulls him in and gives him what he describes as a wicked smile. And he's, she tells Tim Curry that Rocky Horror, Princess Diana tells Tim Curry <laughs> that Rocky Horror, quote, quite completed my education. Oh, that's sweet. That's a very cool story. And then uh, I feel like it is of note that the woman who plays Betty Monroe in The Wedding at the beginning, uh, her name is now Hillary Farr, and she is on a show on HGTV called Love It or List It. Is that do anything uh, for you, Deanna? You love terrible TV. Wait. Wait. Yeah, no, it's real. It's her. And I just, I, I want to bring it back to my mother will just love this fact. And I happen to know that she, I am she just started listening shook. to yes, yes, I am yes. angry and I'm upset. And this is absolutely crazy. Whoa. She's not an actress. She's a real estate agent on HGTV. And she gets into a fight with, with a bold man about who's going to buy what house. She does In have fairness. great stage presence. The title, the title actor from this movie is an antique dealer, so maybe some people just got into <laughs> no, no. <laughs> home arts after that. No, this. no, 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 no. <laughs> I just want to drop one more. I'm, say, not, I'm not going okay? to sleep tonight. I'm going to spend a lot of time. <laughs> I can't. I can't deal with this. I'm so sorry. You, you got me really good with this. This is crazy. I'm going to drop one more piece of trivia before we move on, and that's that. Meatloaf said that everyone who played Eddie in London did an Elvis impression, but when they came to him, he was like, "No, no, no." I don't want Eddie to be like Elvis. Eddie should be his own thing. So I'm going to play him differently. And they're like, okay, whatever. And then Elvis comes to a Rocky Horror Show showing at the Roxy and stays and meets Meatloaf afterwards. (laughs) And he, Elvis says, this is Meatloaf's story. Elvis says to him, well, I heard everyone wanted to do an Elvis impression, but you didn't. And uh, Meatloaf says, no, because there's only one you and there's only one me. (laughs) Meatloaf said, that's all I said to him. And he goes, if you want me to do it, I guess I can. <laughs> Since you're here, Elvis. Do you want to hear it, though? They they approached Elvis about playing Eddie in the movie, and he he apparently was interested, but it just didn't work out for whatever reason. Interesting. Um, all right, so let's talk about uh, what it would be like to make this movie now. We've we've obviously talked mm-hmm. a lot about um, the sort of nature of the plot, and but let's let's just talk about like, is there any casting that jumps out at you if you were going to remake this now? The only thing that I thought of was. Um... Who plays Maria in West Side Story? Ortega, Jenna, Jenny, Jenna, Ortega. Are you talking about the new one? Yeah. You know uh, the girls? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Rachel Ziegler? Rachel Ziegler. Oh, yeah. Yep. Wait, no, who am I thinking of then? Uh, never mind. 
Are you thinking of Ariana DeBose? No, no, no. Oh, I'm thinking of her name is Jenna Ortega, but I don't know what she does. Uh, <laughs> she's like a Disney girl that I was like, she would be a good Janet, honestly. And she's to be an, fair, okay. she does oh, she look like Janet. Rachel Z- Ziegler. Yeah, she definitely yeah. does. The only thing that that really jumped out at me, and and I know that you guys won't know this, but Deanna, you should, you can go ahead and start start <laughs> typing as soon as I say this name. Uh, so Luke Perry has a son. <gasps> yeah. And his Who's name is Jack. His name, yeah, his name is Jack Perry. He goes by Jungle Boy. He's a wrestler named mm-hmm. Jungle Boy, mm-hmm. and I think that he would be a great Rocky horror. Yeah, uh, oh, I love like, that so much. He's yeah. like tiny and beautiful and muscular, and I don't know if he can sing, but he's if you know if he's got his dad's genes, he probably can. No, but like yeah. he would be so good at hitting that. Like, oh, I'm just I'm just standing here flexing. Yeah. Did you mm-hmm. want to turn me into a statue? Like he would like make that a moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I love that. I, we gotta, we gotta find a Frank though. We got We need one Frank before yeah. we move on. So, like Laverne Cox felt like the obvious choice, mm-hmm. and and has done it. But like, as far as like trans actors, who I mean, and I guess that's the question, right? Does does Frank need to be played by a trans actor? Does mm-hmm. Frank need to be played by a non-binary actor? Like, I don't know. I mean, as far as people who I think can like work a room and like own a space like that i'm still going ariana debose i just think gives one of the greatest full musical performances of our generation in west side story and i Mm -hmm. think that she could totally handle something that is like more sexy and Mm -hmm. you know like winky Winky, yeah. mm-hmm. you yeah. know what I mean, though, right? Yeah. Little winky. Yeah, winky, blinky, nod. The Pac-Man goes. <laughs> yeah. What is the What is the uh, person's name who played Batgirl? Who is Rose? Uh, they're also Ruby an Rose. orange is the new black Ruby Rose. Yeah. Uh, I would like to put into contention maybe for Frank because because yeah. I, I do like the idea of it someone being someone who exists sort of between the genders. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Um, but it, so much uh, to me, at least, so much more than that aspect is like can you have everybody's eyes on you all the That's time? True. And can you do all of this? Like, are you the absolute main character energy start to finish of this okay. movie? So this might be, this might be a deep cut. Did y'all see Tick, Tick, Boom? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, yes. Robin De Jesus, who plays Michael. I love Michael, him so much. He's so good. Might kill it. Yeah. Oh, yeah honestly, yeah. he all would. Right. And I know, I, I know MJ him. Rodriguez is in that movie, mm-hmm. who is also like another very successful and and like multi-talented trans actress um but robin de jesus has some of that like sparkle yeah that like i can't stop watching that that on screen absolutely yeah and then andrew garfield can be brad (laughs) (laughs) we did it so just an affable doof (laughs) he'd be great yeah also vanessa Hudgens would probably be a pretty decent janet Honestly, yeah. I would put Andrew Garfield in any role in this movie, including I Frank. I, honestly, I bet he'd be a great freak. Yeah. I'd love to see him as Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he knows how to tap dance. <laughs> so so you guys know this, I'm sure, but part of when you remake a musical is that you have to write one new song to try and get that best original song Oscar, right? Of course. Of course I know this. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Why would so you that's what we do. That's what we do with every... Uh, you know, remake uh, that we talk about here. So I have written a song to add into this musical, as is the conceit of this podcast. And uh, <laughs> Steph also features on this as Janet. It's sort of a company number. In fact, it's the scene we talked about earlier. Uh, Janet, Dr. Scott, Brad, Rocky. 
uh, it's that scene. I wanted to make that scene into a song, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's a scene where they are, and I can't be more clear about this, accusing each other, okay? The song is about accusing people. That's all this song is about. Nothing else. It is about accusations. And it's called Who's Fingering Who? And here it is <laughs> on Musical, the movie, the podcast. I'm fingering you and you're fingering me. He's fingering her and they're fingering we. Everyone's fingering everyone here. I'm so good at fingering, it should be my career. It was never my intention to finger this much. My whole life I fingered with a soft touch. But I admit getting fingered is quite a thrill. And mutual fingering, well, that takes skill. I haven't lifted ein finger yet, but before the night's through, I'll finger Frank, I bet. But please don't mistake us and don't be confused. To finger simply means to say jacuzzi. I'm fingering you and you're fingering me. He's fingering her and they're fingering me. Everyone's fingering everyone here. I'll finger you to your face or to your rear. I was created to be a fingering machine, but now all this fingering seems quite mean. My fingering probably isn't as smooth, but you shouldn't let someone named Rocky finger you. I fingered my fingers down to the bone, but at least when you finger, you don't feel alone. I never lifted a finger to finger before, but now I'm being fingered as a Rocky whore. If I finger you, it'll make you convulse, because Frank's got his finger right on your pulse. If you must finger me, I suppose I'll comply. But I've had my fingers in every pie. Now when I'm fingered, I don't make a sound. If you finger me, I'll throw you a pound. And when you get fingered, it snatches your breath. I'm Eddie and fingering brought on my death. I'm fingering you and you're fingering me. He's fingering her and they're fingering we. Everyone's fingering everyone here. If I finger you, it'll make your whole year. Sure, sure this fingering looks like fun. A triple can be better than a home run. But one thing to know before you do is when you finger, you got four fingers fingering you. When you finger, you got four fingers fingering you. When you finger, you got four fingers fingering you. There it is. Who's fingering who? My pitch for a new song to add to Rocky Horror. Look at all the different voices that you got to do. That's <laughs> yeah. true. I just saw I, the different range. If I close my eyes, that is from VeggieTales. <laughs> <laughs> that that song could that is straight up in an SNL VeggieTales sketch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I that mean, would be kind of the song that gets sung that I miss all the subcontext in it. And I'm just 100%. Kind of, <laughs> and then we 100%. do the podcast and I'm like, it's about what now? Interesting. <laughs> Excuse me? I knew that. I love this movie. I watch it all the time. <laughs> As always, now is a great time to mention that the only place that you can find all the songs that we do here on Musical the Movie the Podcast is on our Patreon for the Dumb Fun Network of Podcasts at patreon.com slash dumbfun. Uh, Deanna, I'm happy to tell you that you are officially, with the release of this episode, the first person to be on all three Dumb Fun podcasts. Thank you. You're on a great 30 characters episode, a great episode of Fanny Falls Demon Hunter. I love that. And now a great episode of Musical the Movie the Podcast. Okay, Uh, you're simply obsessed. (laughs) I'm obsessed. (laughs) And Uh, I love the attention. (laughs) (laughs) What a perfect combination. It's amazing. Check out Fanny Falls Demon Hunter. Uh, it's the fake rewatch podcast that I do with Stephanie Weber that uh, Deanna was a great guest on. But it's, it's just a lot of fun. It's it's a, a concept show. And it's a miniseries. We're only doing 13 episodes and then we're out. Steph, do you, do you want to plug anything before we throw it to our guests? 
Yeah, I'd like to plug today uh, singing even when you don't necessarily like the sound of your voice. Um, It's just, it feels great. You should do Mm -hmm. it. There's a moment in this movie where Frank is singing I'm Going Home. And to get into it, he pictures a whole audience sitting there. And I turned to Seven, and I was like, that's me when I sing in the shower. <laughs> yeah. Matt, what do you got coming up that, that you'd like to plug? I mean, I'm working, on, uh, I'm working on a production of The Sound of Music right now, running at the historic Paramount Theater in Aurora. Um, it's big. It's beautiful. It's for the holidays. Um, per usual, we are spending too much money on too many things. But um, a lot of people are going to come and see it. And... Um, something really special that Paramount has started doing is a pay what you can night, which um, are two days at the beginning of the run that anybody anywhere um, can show up and pay what they can afford for a ticket, um, trying to keep theater accessible and especially for a show like The Sound of Music, right, where you can bring some kids and stuff. That's great. Um, otherwise, oh, I'm making a love. mess on TikTok at Matt oh, Seiler. Yeah. Matt Seiler. At, at Matt Seiler. M-A-T-T-S-I-L-A-R. It is a mess on there. I can't believe some people message me to talk seriously about <laughs> theater because I'm such a goofy person on there, but we have fun. Love it. Deanna, what's you got coming up? Me. Um, okay. Uh, it's Halloween. Happy Halloween. And on Friday the 4th, I'll be at the Laugh Factory at 7.30 on Saturday. Me too. Oh my God, twins. Are you gonna, on Saturday, I'll be there at 7 and 9. So I'll be a whole weekend at the Laugh Factory. And then uh, Tuesday the 8th, I'm going to be at Second City opening for an improv group at Judy's Beat Lounge. So that that show's only 10 bucks and it's hard to come by a cheap show at Second City. So lots of fun stuff. That's true. Uh, You can Uh, also follow my Instagram at Ortiz underscore um, and listen to my podcast. It's called Crushes. We talk about celebrity crushes um, and crushes that you have on Tim Curry in a movie. (laughs) 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 And new episodes of The Drunk Cooking Show are coming soon, hopefully. Oh, nice. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I'll mention that if if you're into the Chicago area, I, I am at the Laugh Factory like all this weekend. I'm uh hosting that 7 30 show that deanna's on on friday Amazing. i'm on the 11 30 i'm on the 7 30 and the 9 30 saturday and then sunday is the roast of elvis where i am playing the title character of elvis and it's uh just my best life to be uh my hometown hero <laughs> and um, your elvis is based on meatloaf right <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah, it's based on meatloaf. i'm hoping that that meatloaf is going to come to the show and talk to me afterwards oh we gotta talk <laughs> i just want to throw out that deanna totally just made a joke i made that no one heard better because i said <laughs> i said i was really hoping you were playing the roast and then deanna said you're playing meatloaf which is an all-around better hey, joke it's a it, we're we're Cross collabing, we're punching up each other's jokes. Building, joke. we're building. It's a team effort. It's all an effort to smack down Andy. <laughs> <laughs> and don't worry about it, Matt. I'll I'll cut Deanna's joke out and made it sound like everyone laughed. At you your do, joke. you die, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Deanna, thank you guys so much for joining us. What a thank fun time you. this was. Thanks for having me. Let's mention what we're doing next time. It's 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 our Thanksgiving movie. What do you watch every year on TV on Thanksgiving? For me, it's The Wizard of Oz. We're going to do The Wizard of Oz next time, and we can say that one of our guests will be Danny Pike, uh, who was recently so great as Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, come and check that out next time, and we'll see you then. Bye, guys. Bye. Musical the movie, the podcast. Musical the movie, the podcast. Musical the movie, the podcast. With Andy and Steph. Fun dumb.